What is up, ambitious listeners? Welcome to another episode. This week's guest is a hockey legend in Clint Malarchuk. Although he's known for overcoming adversity and other facets of life, overcoming mental health issues, battles with alcoholism, and even nearly dying on the ice, he also had an incredible hockey career that spanned multiple years and was an absolutely phenomenal human being. In one of the coolest interviews I've gotten to do, he details his life story and a wild life it has been. And also another edition of Senior Spotlight with Steve Bellow and Kelvin Marocho. It's a big episode. First, a word from Anchor. And also, big announcement. We are going to start doing two episodes a week this summer. Two episodes a week. Every Tuesday and Thursday, there will be new episodes of Ambitious. Cool interviews, cool sports talk. You know, sports are starting to come back, hopefully, knock on wood, that we have some sports to talk about. But Tuesdays, Thursdays, you're going to have some new Ambitious episodes to listen to with some incredible humans talking about some incredible things. So first, a word from Anchor, then Clint Malarchuk, then Steve Bellow and Kelvin Rocha on this week's edition of Senior Spotlight. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is a legendary ice hockey goaltender from the NHL. He was well-traveled, born in Edmonton, Alberta. He is an absolute legend in hockey. He survived much adversity, and he is now a renowned mental health advocate in the community. I would like to welcome to the show, Clint Malarcha. Clint, how's it going? Oh, pretty good, Dylan. I'm uh, just hanging in there like everybody else these days. <laughs> so how are you doing with all the crazy times in the world right now? Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, I've i got it better than most because, uh, you know, i got uh, I got horse property and animals uh, to take care of, and uh, I've got a barn that I set up uh, with a little mini gym in it, uh, uh, I got my weights, and then I got my uh, tools, and, you know, I'm outside all the time. I'm never uh, really bored. I can't imagine being in a uh, uh, an apartment or even a condo or even a house, for that matter, in, in uh, suburbia, you know. <laughs> I've got it, uh, like I said, better than most with uh, what I've got going on here. Now, with your hockey being your primary sport and hockey not going on right now, the sports world at a standstill, what are you doing right now to kind of distract yourself um, from television perspective outside of sports? Well, that's the thing. I got horses I can ride, and, I, you know, I used to rodeo. So for me, that was a sport. And uh, so I can jump on a horse, and not that it's a bucking horse anymore, but I can go out and fool around and chase a, a mechanical steer, or I can, you know, uh, like this morning, uh, I got up and I, I did chores, did a bunch of things, and then I thought, you know, I got this old horse that needs a little bit of uh, exercise, so I got on him, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I, I hear a lot of people are into Netflix and doing all sorts <laughs> of things like that, and uh, I go in the house at night, and I'm pretty dang tired, and I'll, I'll put on a... Uh, Netflix movie or something, and I fall asleep before <laughs> even the first uh, episode is over. Usually, 
Now, the Cowboy Goalie was your nickname, and you kind of lived that truly as a horse rider, a rodeo. Where did that nickname come from? Is it from that past and that longing to do that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I've had horses all my life and been around them, and uh, um, for me, it, it's a passion. And, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was actually rodeoing uh, when I was playing in the NHL. In the summer times, I'd... Uh, I'd go and rodeo, and, and uh, so it, it's uh, it, it, it's a passion. It's a, it, animals are a passion for me, and that's why I say I'm way more fortunate than a lot of people because of my uh, my property, my animals, and you know I got chickens, goats, and you name it. <laughs> and so for me, uh, it, it's it's uh, not a problem keeping busy. That's for sure. Now, you come from the NHL, an 11-year playing career, a very incredible playing career. Obviously, there's one distinct moment of that on the ice, which we'll get to in a little bit. But other than that, is there any accolades that you've accumulated throughout your career that really stick with you and your kind of pride or proudest accomplishment from the NHL? Well, I've had a few. You know, I made the All-Star team one year, and that was a a huge, uh, huge deal for me, you know, because I didn't think I was that good and that talented. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in a uh, all star locker room with guys like Dale Howard, Chuck, uh, Wayne Gretzky, Mary Lemieux. <laughs> I'm going, what the heck am I doing here? But uh, and then I had a, I had, I had a string of shutouts uh, at one point. I think I got, I had four, four in a row, I think. And there was another time I shut out Boston uh, home and home series. Um, you know, things like that. I won NHL Player of the Week a few times. And for me, those things were almost like surreal because I really didn't have a lot of uh, confidence in my skill. I had a lot of confidence in my work ethic. And uh, so any anytime I got an award or any kind of, uh, you know, uh, acknowledgement from the NHL, it was like, holy moly, <laughs> this is happening to me. Now, off the ice, is there an accomplishment that sticks with you as one of your proudest accomplishments outside of hockey? Yeah, Dylan, I'd say uh, uh, writing my book, um, it was the hardest thing I ever did. Opened up a lot of old wounds, but um, uh, once it was out there and the feedback that I got and and, uh, realizing that there's so many people out there that struggled uh, with mental illness like I have, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was like, you know, that, that to me is off ice, uh, an accomplishment that, the, and now I do public speaking and that's always real gratifying to, you know, uh, get a standing ovation and then, uh, maybe doing a book signing after or just hearing people's stories that want to share, uh, what they've gone through and, uh, the realization that there's a lot of people out there that, that struggle just like I have, you know, I thought I was the only one. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, yeah, there's a lot of people out there, but they're not as sick as me, you know, because it's such a silent, uh, uh, because of the stigma, we don't talk much mm-hmm. about, uh, uh, we, we suffer in silence for the most part. We're getting better as a society, um, you know, talking about it and getting people to get the help they need. Now, I do want to dive into The Crazy Game, which was your book that you incrementally wrote. Am I, is that correct? You had some time where you really spread it out and you didn't write the book, you know, just in one shot? Well, yeah, I've been dabbling. People have been telling me, uh, you know, I was kind of the class clown, locker room, 
uh, clown, and, and I had a lot of funny experiences, funny stories, things that I did, and teammates, and whatnot. So I was always encouraged to uh, write a book on these funny deals. And then uh, uh, 2008, I, 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 I had, you know, almost uh, died by suicide, and mm -hmm. uh, um, that made me uh, wake up out of a coma with a bullet in my skull, thinking, man, I've been spared. Uh, a few times now from death, and uh, uh, I'm here for a reason, and it's not hockey. It's uh, to help people, to tell my story, to maybe get people to, uh, you know, uh, get help and not go down that dark, uh, silent road that I did. Now let's dive into, if it's okay with you, some of those moments of adversity that you've had to overcome, if that's okay with you. Yeah, oh yeah, that's what, that's what I do. So starting in a moment that is infamous to pretty much, I think, any sports fans, not even just hockey, was the moment in 1989 when you had a blade that sliced your cart or cardioid artery and partially sliced your jugular vein and you lost a lot of blood on the ice. What kind of went through your mind in that moment and how do you come back from something like that? Well, uh, first of all, you know, I saw the blood, uh, you know, squirting five, six feet in front of me, and I went, oh, my God, I've hit a main, a main vein or artery, and I've got minutes to live. So with that thought, I, I was pretty much mentally preparing for death. Uh, I told one, I got up, got off the ice. My mom was watching the game on TV back in Canada. Uh, I didn't want her to see me die on the ice. Uh, also, asked a trainer, call my mom, tell her I love her. Uh, asked another trainer, hold my hand because I'm going to die. Um, you know, asked for the team chaplain. You know, so basically trauma of, of, of near-death experience was set right there and uh, set me up uh, for future PTSD, undiagnosed for 20 years. And, uh, you know, I came back quick. I was back, I think, in 10 days. Uh, thinking wow. that's the cowboy way, you get bucked off a horse, you get right back on. And so that's kind of what I did. And at first, uh, you know, I was very proud that I came back so quick. And, and you know, I was kind of hero worshipped in Buffalo uh, for coming back that quick. And, uh, you know, so I wrote that love and support of Buffalo and upstate New York uh, to get me through that season. It was the next season that I really started to struggle with the PTSD, undiagnosed, of course. I don't think that was a, uh, a set of words back then. So uh, it was the next season where I really started to, uh, you know, being predisposed uh, to mental illness. Uh, as a kid, I, I had anxiety and depression issues, uh, suicidal thoughts and everything. Well, now, uh, after the trauma the next year, uh, I started to have flashbacks, nightmares, uh, sitting straight up in bed, grabbing my neck. So it wasn't just a bad dream. I was reliving a traumatic experience, which, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I suffered in silence and didn't want to tell anybody because I thought I'd be perceived as mentally weak. And now we know it's, it's not a weakness, it's a disorder. It has nothing to do with how tough you are physically or mentally. And, uh, yeah, that kind of set me up for, for uh, you know, years of, of suffering. And, and eventually, uh, you know, 20 years after that, I think, uh, was 
that I uh, put a gun to my head and pulled the trigger. Wow. So there's been, aside from the um, incident on the ice, there was another incident before the gun when your heart stopped beating, am I correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was uh, that was the, the season after. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I wrote that Adrenaline, Love the Support of Upstate New York, and then uh, it was the next season I was having nightmares and, and I couldn't sleep. Uh, well, I didn't want to sleep. It got to the point where I didn't want, want to go and relive that uh, horrific dream. And uh, so I'd sit in a chair and uh, kind of bobble around, not going into a REM sleep where I'd dream and, and have a recurring uh, incident come into my head. And, uh, yeah, we went to a, we had a Super Bowl party at our captain's house, Pat LaFontaine's, and uh, uh, that's where I, I showed up maybe 20 minutes at that, and I hadn't slept in 10 days. And sleep deprivation... Uh, not thinking clearly, uh, going through all this stuff in silence and not telling anyone. I, uh, I, I went home and, and, uh, I hadn't slept at all. And I, I thought, okay, I gotta, I gotta get some sleep cause I gotta go to practice in the morning. And, uh, the, I, I was on some painkillers for a broken thumb and, and it said, do not, I, I never noticed it before. Cause I just take the painkiller as needed. And it said, do not drink with alcohol. We'll make you drowsy. And so I, I, you know, took, I don't know, five or six extra and uh, then drained a bottle of scotch thinking, I'm going to sleep. I don't care. Um, you know, I need sleep. And uh, that's where uh, I finally got a diagnosis. I uh, wake up in the hospital. My heart had stopped. So I, wake, I, get, I get to the hospital and they uh, revive me. And, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm at the doctor or talking to the psychiatrist at the hospital and I got on the right meds and doing really good. Uh, I, I said to myself, 
is just what it feels like to be normal. So I experience a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of emotions and, uh, you know, anger uh, that I didn't get the help uh, right away, um, that I could have been uh, still in the NHL had I got the right help. Um, yet I was so grateful that finally I'm feeling like a real human being without the demons. Now, where do you think, honestly, aside from the PTSD aspect of it all, where do you think the anxiety and depression stem from from a young age? Well, uh, my dad was uh, a great guy, but uh, he was an alcoholic and he got kind of abusive. Uh, you know, I saw a lot of stuff, uh, anger and violence towards my mom. And I think that anxiety, uh, whether I was mentally ill back then, I don't know, or did that stem from it or did that develop it? I'm not sure I could go on and on and, and you know, try and figure it out. But, um, yeah, I struggled as a kid with all the home life issues, uh, for sure. And uh, that's, that's why I was hospitalized. I think I was 10 to 12 years old and hospitalized with uh, uh, severe anxiety, uncontrollable crying. And I was in a hospital for two months, and this is years ago. And they finally turned me loose, just said to my mom, you got a real anxious kid. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. So I'm very grateful uh, that we've come so far in our mental health community with different medications, therapies, um, um, counseling, all these things. We've come so far that people don't have to go through what I went through as a kid. Well, that's very cool that you stick or you speak up now for all of this stuff and very admirable after everything you went through. Now, with all that in the rearview mirror, the PTSD, the anxiety, depression, everything as a young kid as well, growing up and all of this stuff, then in 2008 is when it kind of all came crashing down. Do you can you detail kind of maybe what went through your head before everything happened? Yeah, that's uh that's where, um, you know, I've been on this medication. I was doing great for about 15 years. And I just thought, I take this pill and I'll be great. No problem. Uh, just continue on. And I uh, wasn't seeing my psychiatrist. I just, you know, and being a coach at that time or even a player, you know, you have your team doctor and you can pretty much get a, pres- uh, just, I need prescription field doc. And, and uh, no problem. They, they, and so I just kept getting my my script renewed and renewed and renewed over years and years. And over time, the medication wasn't working that well. Uh, it, 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 it gradually declined and uh, probably wasn't working at all leading up to the suicide attempt. Uh, Richard Bednick, uh playing in Buffalo with the Florida Panthers, uh, cut his jugular vein. And so I was coaching, uh, goalie coach with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I was very media accessible and everybody wanted me to talk about it. And so I, uh, you know, being me, being me, I just kept talking and saying, yeah, this is what happened. Uh, uh, you know, and it, it, the combination of the meds not working anymore and the, uh, the, uh, accident and reliving, telling the story again led to a huge relapse. Um, where the depression, the anxiety, um, the the OCD that I have, obsessive compulsive disorder, was just off the charts. And uh, that's when I went and uh, 
you know, I didn't really want to kill myself. I wanted to kill a pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where that led me. Now, you ended up putting a bullet through your chin, and it ended up not killing you, evidently. And you really... Can you detail how you are still alive to this day because of what happened? Well, probably being a goalie, I got a thick head, thick <laughs> skull. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, I put, I, I put the gun under my chin and, and shot. It knocked out two teeth, ricocheted, and went up the uh, upper palate and uh, got lodged in my skull. So, for me, yeah, I mean, I'm a miracle that I didn't die. And, uh, you know, uh, amazing that I, you know, got, I'm, I'm still walking around with that bullet lodged in my skull. So, yeah, I, I mean, uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it's a miracle that I'm alive. You know, I've almost died three times. The jugular vein, uh, um, the o- uh, overdose on, on uh, painkillers and then alcohol with it. And then, uh, again, uh, you know, the suicide attempt. So that's what led me to, uh, you know, write a book and try to help others. That's incredible. And much thanks to you for being able to speak about that and for everything you are able to do for the mental health community following that, because it takes a lot of toughness to be able to put yourself out there after everything you've been through and, you know, show other people that look what I overcame. You can definitely overcome whatever you're going through. So much thanks to you for that. Thank you. Uh, you know, um, I, I try to talk about uh, resilience, and uh, people feel uh, desperate, helpless, hopeless, and uh, in a dark place. And and I've been there, so I tell my story of where I've been and what I've you know gone through, and eventually overcome, and now uh, happy and healthy and productive. I'm not saying I don't still struggle. Yes, I do, and I probably will the rest of my life, but nowhere near the dark uh, dark past that I had lived. Now, you also had a noted issue with alcoholism. Is that part of, you know, maybe trying to suppress? What What do you think ended was truly behind your battle with alcoholism? Well, I've learned through my journey and rehabilitation the treatment centers and, and that that uh, uh, it's very very common. There's a huge correlation between uh, mental illness and and addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol. My choice was alcohol, um, and uh, because it's instant relief, uh, you take a drug or alcohol, and all of a sudden you're you're numb. And so when you have mental illness, whether you're dealing with anxiety, depression, OCD. Um, whatever it might be, uh, you know, alcohol for me worked. If I was depressed, it would uh, it would make me alcohol would make me undepressed, happy. Uh, if I was anxious, it would calm me down. And uh, so it's instant relief, and and a lot of people can relate to that that have mental illness because they end up being in in, in addiction. And uh, yeah, that's what happens to to us. It's very very Now, 
one a guest I had on the show, um, Kevin Hines, he tried to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge and kill himself, and he said... I, the, yeah, I know Kevin. I know him. He's an incredible guy, incredible story, incredible story just like yours as well. And he said, you know, the moment he jumped off the bridge, he immediately regretted it. Was there a moment in when you put oh, the... Yeah. There was with the rifle and even oh, with yeah. the drugs? When the gun went off, uh, I went, holy crap. Because I, I didn't know there was a bullet in the gun. Really? Yeah. What was... Or uh, continue, sorry. You know, because I'd been out shooting. So I didn't know that, that the gun was even loaded. I thought I maybe emptied it, but I didn't care. It was uh, one way or the other. Now, coming back from all of that, how have you rebuilt your personal relationships within your life after having to come through all of that and get to the greener pastures you're in now? Uh, repeat that, please. Was there... How did you... I don't know if I'm asking it the correct way, but how did you rebuild personal relationships after going through all you went through and then getting to greener pastures like you are in now? Oh. Uh, you know, when you go to counseling therapy, uh, you know, rehab, all the, all that stuff, uh, you learn a lot. And, and you learn to, you know, make amends and, you know, do all that. Now, you've moved forward and you're, you've noted already throughout this interview, you're spreading your message to other people and spreading a message of hope. How do you feel that that's helped you cope with everything that you've gone through? You get a, a lot of gratification. Number one, uh, writing the book was, you know, like it made me realize one thing big time that, uh, you know, that there's a lot of people because I got all these emails and, and Facebook and, and all these messages saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I thought I was the only one. And I'm going to tell you something, Dylan. There was people that emailed me that you would know, NHL hockey players, football, baseball, um, um, uh, CEOs, big, and I was like, "Wow, it, this is very, very common. This is as common as uh, diabetes or, or um, you know, any any other disorder." And that was really, really eye opening for me that, to know. And so, for me to to go out and and public speak and meet people that have a story similar to mine, or some are worse, some are less, whatever. But that has given me, like, a purpose mm -hmm. that I have uh, just, you know, taken by the... I, I, I've grabbed the bull by the horns, and I'm running with it. Very cool, and once again, very admirable of everything you're doing. If you really had to present one message of everything you've learned through your life, what would that message be? That is such a good question, Dylan. Um uh, you know, first of all, I, I, I talked to a lot of first responders, military with PTSD. Then I, then I talked to other associations, mental health associations, and, and, and all that. And the, 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 because of the stigma surrounding mental illness, it's, uh, it's, it, it makes people just hide and live in silence. And so what I try to bring out is, hey, it, it's a common thing. There are so many of us out there. And, uh, you know, everything I've gone through, I realize now that, you know, what my purpose is, is to get that message out there that you are.
surrounding mental illness, you know, that's, that's the deal. And people, so when, when people hear my message, I think they, they, I know for a fact, because people have told me after they said, I went to a doctor, I went to a psychiatrist, I went to a, a psychologist. I, so, you know, that once people realize that it's a, it's not a, a, a weakness, to be mentally ill or have, you know, meaning depression, anxiety, which, which I totally relate to, and also obsessive compulsive disorder and PTSD. So um, once people can, can, you know, get their head around that, you know, wrap their head around that and go, wow, so it's no different than being diabetic or anything else. And I, I know for me it's a chemical imbalance. I don't produce enough serotonin in my brain, which is a mood uh, uh, chemical that, you know, uh, if you don't have enough of it, you're ten, you tend to get depressed or anxious or, you know, et cetera. So my me- main message is, you know, it, it is not a weakness. And once people realize they're not weak, uh, that they're afflicted with, with a disorder, uh, they get help. And that, that to me is the main, my main goal. It's very incredible to hear, and I noted Kevin earlier, um, how both of you guys you know, come overcoming adversity, and even I had Kirsty Ennis on the show as well, and all three of you guys, you've overcome so much adversity, and you guys are all dedicated now to spreading awareness and trying to get rid of the stigma that's still, after all these years, and you know how much society has developed, is still around mental health, so that's incredibly admirable to you and to everybody else who speaks out for mental health and speaks out after prior experiences and prior trauma. So once again, you know, much thanks to you for doing that for not just even the, your, the mental health community, but even just society as a whole. Well, uh, I really feel that God spared me, you know, whatever your God might be, uh, my God spared me for those that are still suffering. He spared me three times. And, uh, that's why I do what I do, and, and uh, the gratification that I know that I, I you know, I know I'm, uh, I touch people because I get the feedback, and it, it warms my heart that I, I wish that was there for me when I was a kid. Um, you know, going to a hospital for two months and they can't even figure out what the heck's wrong with this kid. Uh, we've come a long ways, and, uh, you know, I talked to my mom, who's 84, and, and she goes, God, where was people like you when, when you were ill? But it was so taboo back then, and uh, it wasn't talked about. I, I really believe my, my father being an alcoholic, uh, uh, I, I look back now and reflect on, on everything. I think he was mentally ill, and that's why he drank. And that's why he, you know, ended up the way he, he did end up. And uh, I just don't want people to go through that. And we've made great progress, but we still got to keep going. Very, very true. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about in regards to forgiveness, obviously it was a complete accident, but is there, did you ever reach out to Steve Tuttle, the guy who, um, whose skate was the one who slashed inadvertently slashed your uh, throat and caused the accident and everything? Yeah, total accident. I mean, no one would do that on purpose unless they're a serial killer or something. But, uh, uh, yeah, I reached out to Steve because I heard he was having uh, similar nightmares and, you know, dealing a little bit with, with some issues. And and uh, I never did uh, actually talk to him. Uh, I talked to his roommate. Uh, I called him. I got his number, and I, I called him, and his roommate answered, who was Sergio Memento. And... Uh, 
we kind of chatted a bit. He's had his people cave, but, you know, uh, he understands his accident. And, you know, uh, it just went on from there. But I remember the first time we were playing St. Louis after that accident, we're skating around in warm-ups. And being the guy that I am with a pretty good sense of humor, I think kind of off the, off the wall sense of humor as a goalie, I skated by him and I said, you're a cutthroat son of a bitch. <laughs> and, you know, he kind of looked at me and laughed, so I think it was all good. <laughs> That's very cool that you uh, move forward for that. And even though it was an accident, you know, some people in accident, accidental cases, like, you know, if they get hit by a car and it wasn't the person's fault, it wasn't the person walking's fault, but some people harbor resentment. And it's very cool that you move forward that and even joked with them about that. Yeah, yeah you got to keep your sense of humor. A sense of humor can get you through a lot of things. Now, one thing, a cool little story and anecdote I heard about you was there was a time where you were given horses as a contractual bonus. Yeah. I kind of joke about that, saying I'm probably the first uh, professional athlete to negotiate a contract uh, dealing with livestock. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, well, the, the fact of the matter was, uh, you know, I, I was going through kind of a uh, nasty divorce and, and, uh, you know, she was trying to get everything she could. So I thought, well, she can't get these horses. And if she does want half of a horse, I know which half she'll get. <laughs> <laughs> now, Clint, you've gone through so much and your story's absolutely admirable and incredible. If there was one word you could use to describe everything you've gone through and your outlook on life now, what would that word be? Resilience. The, 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 to have the wherewithal to just keep getting up in the morning and keep, because, uh, you know, with all this stuff that's going on now with the virus and, and, uh, and that, I, you know, my wife's down in, in Texas. Her mom's not doing very good. So I've been on my own here for about a month. And uh, I get up in the morning, I'm depressed. My, my mother in law is not doing good. I'm, I'm alone. Um, you know, my daughter, my youngest daughter comes by and, uh, checks on me and makes me a casserole or whatever, makes sure dad's eating. And, and, uh, I just try to keep busy because when I wake up, I, I, right now, you know, it's automatic anxiety, you know, uh, you know, where, where's your, your, all my speaking engagements have been postponed. So financially I'm getting a little worried and, uh, <clears throat> You know, so I just get up and I get busy. I get out in the barn and I do my workout. I feed the horses and and the animals. And uh, then I got a lot of projects that I kind of made a list to do. I've also made a to-do list of people I need to call um, that I haven't talked to in maybe years. But they're, they're good team teammates or friends or whatever it might be. So I, I make an effort to to just make my list and try and check things off. And, you know, you make a list and you start checking things off. It's very gratifying. And it, it kind of beats that depression. Very, very cool. Now, you and your wife have been together for a while. What could you say if you had to give a message about the support she's given to you throughout everything you've gone through? Well, uh, you know, one thing about uh, PTSD that I've learned dealing with the uh, military and first responders with PTSD that, uh, you know, we, we, we all suffer to a degree, different degrees of anxiety. 
and depression. But we have a common denominator of anger. And I think that anger comes from we've lost the ability to control our thoughts, emotions, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, whatever it might be. Uh, and that's very frustrating. And you start to get really pissed off, you know, like, what is going on with me? And, uh, you know, I, I, I took all my anger out at, at my wife because that's what we do. We, we, you know, we take it out on our loved ones. And, uh, uh, because we, we feel safe with them. And I was very verbally abusive. I blamed her for everything. And, uh, you know, she, she hung in there. And, you know, when I went to treatment, uh, the NHL uh, sent her to a week, uh, week-long deal called a, a family uh, uh, retreat or family education or something. And uh, she learned that the, uh, the uh, mental illness and, and the anger and everything was really uh, just a frustration. She learned a lot. Just let me put it that way. She just learned a lot and didn't. Uh, she learned not to take it personally, that I was a sick man, uh, I was not a well man, and uh, I was just taking it out at, at my loved one, which was her. And uh, once she learned all that, you know, we uh, we reconciled. But I mean, I was I was I was pretty much an asshole uh, most of the time, you know, with my sickness. And uh, she she comes from a, a military background. Her dad was a Air Force uh, Colonel, uh, flew in Vietnam, Korean War. Uh, 32 years, was a retired colonel, and, uh, you know, uh, the, her background with the military, uh, she, she developed a certain, certain amount of toughness, you know, having to move every uh, two years or a year or three years or whatever it might be, living all over the world, Germany, every damn state in the country, uh, U.S., probably. And, uh, you know, she, she, she ended up being a pretty... Uh, I think God uh, uh, had we met because you know she went through her stuff and I went through mine. So uh, she was uh, the stuff she went through uh, kind of set up uh, for later life, uh, meeting Clint, marrying Clint. <laughs> very very cool. And my final question for you, Clint, and thank you so much for your time and your openness with all the questions and everything. So my final question for you is when it's all said and done, your life and everything you've been through, looking back upon it, if there was one thing you could say you would want your legacy to be defined as and want your legacy to be, what would you say that is? Oh, for sure. I would just say uh, uh, a loving, caring person is very uh, passionate about helping people. Um, You know, uh, the things I do behind the scenes that no one knows about. Yeah, I go out and public speak, and and and, and I get paid to do that. Uh, you know, that's very gratifying. The book was very gratifying, but uh, you know, spending uh, a couple hours on the phone every night—not uh, every single night, but uh, a lot of nights—I'm on the phone for two, three hours, just being a support for people that I don't even know. And that's just—I uh, uh, just like to be known as a compassionate, compassionate, empathetic, uh, mental health advocate. Clint, I can't thank you enough. You're an incredible, incredible man. Thank you so much for coming on with all your honesty and everything you did. And, uh, the floor is yours to leave off on a general message before we end out here. Hi, and 
another message? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you please. Just to note, well, seriously, I would like, I'd like people that suffer to understand that it is not a weakness. It is a sickness or a disorder, and you can be well. And don't do it alone. Don't suffer in silence. Take the first step and understand that, uh, that you know, that there's no shame in being a diabetic. There's no shame in having cancer. There's no shame, but for whatever reason, there's shame to have mental illness. So get over the shame. It's a disorder, and get help, and, and you know, get well, and then you can go on the journey and help others. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the man, the myth, the legend, the absolutely incredible human, Clint Malarchuk. Thanks again, Clint. Great job, Dylan. I appreciate it. What is up? Welcome to another edition of Senior Spotlight. Today's guests are both attending Del High in the fall. One being Steve Bellow. He will be attending Del High for construction and business management. Steve, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And then the other attending Del High in the fall will be Kelvin Morocho. Kelvin will be studying criminal justice. Kelvin, how's it going? Good. And how about you? I'm doing good. So obviously, unfortunately, your guys' senior year was cut short. But looking back on it, what was one of your favorite memories, starting with you, Kelvin? Uh, one of my favorite memories was being to uh, be able to join a different type of sports team, like the basketball team, and um, being with them and going so far into our games and getting into the finals, which was great. And I would say that's one of my best memories ever in high school. How about you, Steve? Um, best memories? Yeah. I don't know, a lot. I mean, I moved to Monticello, and I thought that would be kind of, you know, like scary. I was scared I was going to make friends, but Monticello was pretty good. I had a lot of good memories. Making friends, track, parties, all of it, I guess. Now, looking back at the year, obviously it was unfortunately cut short, but is there any lesson you could pull from it, starting with you, Steve? Mm. I don't really know, Dale. <laughs> How about you, Kelvin? Anything? Uh, I would say, like, make the best out of what you have, basically. Like, live it to the fullest. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it could be cut short like ours was. And, like, don't take anything for granted. Like, make memories with people. Like, make new friends or this or that. Because at some point, you might never know if you'll ever have a chance to be with these people again. Now, looking at the future now, kind of changing here... What is, I guess, a 10-year goal for you, starting with you, Steve, like just a mark that you're pushing towards in life? Well, definitely college. I mean, at first, I didn't really want to go to college. I wanted to go to trade school. But Delha, you know, they have trade classes, so I was pretty happy. And I want to take advantage of those classes and try to start my own business, maybe, or get into the construction field. How about you, Kelvin? What is a 10-year goal? My 10-year goal is, like, college as well and, like, to be able to get my, I would say, degree in what I'm majoring and starting a business and, like, building up and making different um, decisions in life and growing up as an adult and figuring out what I actually want to do or what I wouldn't want to do. Now, those are all both, both great goals. Now, looking at 
I guess, the past in the sense of looking at the future now, but if you could tell yourself, I guess, freshman self something, I guess, about high school to look forward to or just advice for high school as a whole, what would that be, starting with you, Kelvin? One thing I would for sure say is um, don't be um, dumb and spend all your money like I did (laughs) and to make sure, like, you're saving as well, but also enjoy yourself and don't take everything too serious because you're still young and you got time to grow. That's what I would say to myself. How about you, Steve? What was the question again? What would you tell your younger self, your freshman self? Oh, oh, oh. Um, You know, just do whatever makes you happy, I guess. Um, try to live life to the fullest. Now, looking at the future from a broader standpoint, when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be, starting with you, Steve? Um, you know, to be liked and, um, you know, people for people to think I'm a good person. How about you, Kelvin? Um, I would say to be successful and I think to be known as like uh, somebody that never gave up, always tried to the fullest. And kind of the final question here, looking back at it all and looking ahead to the future. And the biggest question I have to ask is if you could be any kind of boat, what kind of boat would you be starting with you, Kelvin? I don't know any boats. You know, any boats like a jet ski, a yacht. Oh, um, I would say a yacht. Because it's big, it costs a lot of money, and yeah. How about you, Steve? Um, whatever one the most girls are on, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was Steve Bello and Kelvin Morocho. Before I close out, I want to give each of you guys the opportunity to plug your podcasts, or not podcast, uh, plug your social medias. It has been a long day, but... I want to give you guys the opportunity. So starting with you, Kelvin, and thanks to both of you guys for coming on. And thanks to you guys for having part in my senior or junior year and making it fun as I look forward to my senior year. Of course, anytime. Um, Like just shout out my thing, my Instagram, and that's it. Sure. All right. My Instagram is uh, Kelvin underscore Morocho. If you don't know how to spell it, it's K-E-L-V-I-N underscore M-O-R-O-C-H-L. And how about you, Steve? Um, Instagram, Stevie.Bello, S-T-E-V-I-E. Dot B-E-L-L-L. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Steve Bello and Kelvin Morocho. Oh, yeah. Thanks, though. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Love you. You too. My thanks to hockey legend Clint Millard-Chuck, Kelvin Morocho, and Steve Bello. Best of luck to all of them in their futures. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing Clint's story. And if you did, really go check out his books. They are absolutely incredible. And I am looking forward to uh, sitting down, buying them, and reading them this summer. And reminder, this summer, two episodes a week. We're going to start doing Tuesdays and Thursdays. Double the ambitious content, double the interviews, double the fun. A few more episodes of Senior Spotlight as well, or additions, whatever you want to call them, coming your way as the uh, summer begins. And what a summer it will be for Ambitious. Follow along at Instagram, at Ambitious Podcast, Twitter, at Ambitious with DP, YouTube, Ambitious with Dylan Price, and have a wonderful week, Ambitious listeners. We'll be back Tuesday with another episode.